Is that a rom-com? My gut says no. No. <laughs> but you're making me rethink everything I thought. That's what I do here. <laughs> From Jordan High School in Jordan, Minnesota, this is Draft Picks. Today's episode, Rom-Coms. Welcome to Draft Picks, and happy Valentine's Day. Some people on Valentine's Day get their loved one flowers, some get them candy, sometimes a teddy bear, sometimes a nice dinner. I got you a new episode of Draft Picks. So, welcome to my two guests for today. Uh, We are joined today by Kelly Valerius of Jordan High School. Kelly, hello. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. And because this is the, is the episode about rom-coms, I am joined by Jordan High School school social worker and wife of mine, Rachel Rydberg. Rachel, thank you for being here. How are you today? Just fine, Mr. Rydberg. That's wonderful. <laughs> We're going to have our own little meet-cute today, and it's just going to be a, a lot of fun. So, uh, as I said, it is Valentine's Day, and love is in the air, and so this is the episode where we celebrate love as it exists in romantic comedies, the rom-com. So we begin each episode of Draft Picks talking about the genre itself. So we want to start with a couple of big picture ideas about rom-coms. The American Film Institute gives us a definition for rom-coms. They define a rom-com as a genre in which the development of a romance leads to comic situations. So my first question uh, to both of you is, what do you love about rom-coms? So the reason I love rom-coms so much is because... They just bring a lightheartedness to situations that sometimes aren't so lighthearted. So maybe you cry during it, maybe you laugh during it, but it's going to be a story and adventure that you go on that just takes you through somebody else's life, which sometimes correlates to your life. And what do you think, sweetheart? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I set you up for that. I apologize. We're going we're gonna to be towing well, all sorts of professional lines here. Um, uh, Rachel, what are your thoughts on well, rom-coms? Well, Mr. Rydberg, I love rom-coms because the characters are imperfect. Their lives are messy. And so I think it helps to remind us that like, oh, yeah, it's okay to be human and go on these adventures of finding love. And, and usually our protagonist ends up finding love mm-hmm. in spite of the messiness. So I want to go back to your youth. Is there a romantic comedy from your youth that sort of taught you something about love? And if so, what was that movie and what did it teach you about love? Rachel, I'll start with you first. In terms of my youth, I think the rom-com that I watched the most would be Pretty Woman. And... I appreciate the message of how love is this redeeming experience and the power of love and finding a relationship to transform who we are. On the flip side, I also like in my adulthood, I'm more critical of the idea of like the knight in the shining armor on the white horse. I'm more inclined to follow stories where um, the protagonist can save themselves. <laughs> so you're giving me permission not to do the whole knight in shining armor driving up in the white limo. I do not need to do that to win your heart. Is yes, right? yes okay. and no. Just checking. I, I love these movies still, but I I think about them and the messages that they send too. Wally, how about you? What's the what's the rom com of your of your heart? My rom com is one that I also read many, many times. Oh and it was 
the Princess Diaries. Wow. Um, and okay. just that whole aspect of Mia Thermopolis not being the perfect person. And she had this mind that she wanted the popular guy. And going through life, um, she found out that he wasn't who he really was on the outside. And then she falls in love, spoiler, with her best friend. Nice. So I just think that that's really good because relationships should be based on friendship, I think, yeah. in my mind. So it just showed me that friendships should come first. Yeah, mm. I love that. Yeah, I, I think like the messages of the rom-coms of my youth are different than maybe some of the messages since then. So that's what I was thinking is that story of being rescued by mm-hmm. the love interest was so dominant in the stories growing up or or the ideas of shenanigans like mm-hmm. I'm going to get you to fall in love with me by being someone else you know and where it's like that really kind of undercuts and we'll talk we're going to talk a little bit later about sort of the messaging of rom-coms but I think the rom-com that sort of taught me what a rom-com was was Sleepless in Seattle for some reason that really resonated with me and I think it was because of uh, the heartfelt nature of Tom Hanks's personal loss uh being a widower and kind of combining that with that idea of you can love again and that was i think the message that really uh stuck out to me uh as a kid so sleepless in seattle i think was that was the one that that really got me there side note i just watched sleepless in seattle for the first time yes. this year and so i loved it yes it was great. all right yep. sounds good back in the days when there were radio shows and yep. <laughs> like that, right? you, would, you would call great. into the national radio show yeah kids today would be like this movie makes no it sense what is, what is this <laughs> The next question that I have, this is kind of going off of uh, something we've already teased. Are rom-coms good for love? I put down in my notes the idea that it seems to me like rom-coms are to love what action movies are to violence. Where it is just, let's just be as kind of crazy as we can and find new and creative ways for the hero to dismember the bad guy. And I'm wondering if rom-coms do the same thing for love. I might be too cynical about that. But what is the relationship between the rom-com and actual human-to-human true intimacy and love? Is this is this genre helping or is it hurting the cause? So I think that it's actually hurting because you're only seeing a small snippet of their life. So it's a two-hour-ish movie and they go five years. You can't see all of their five years in that two-hour movie. Mm-hmm. So you're not seeing their real daily life. You're just seeing mostly the good parts or the overly dramatic bad parts. So I think that you're missing out on the real aspect of it. Okay. Rachel? I think the reason why I love rom-coms is that it taps into that basic human desire for love and belonging and connection. And I think from that, we sometimes get the messaging that out of that desire, the answer is romantic love. Mm -hmm. You know, the white horse, the knight, the unlovable character who then someone comes and loves them and now they're better, that sort of thing. So I think I agree. I think a lot of the messages are problematic and I now into my adulthood appreciate more of the stories where the main character discovers that my worth comes from within mm-hmm. and not isn't validated by this relationship or someone else. So one of the things that the English teacher in my brain is hearing from what you're talking about is the idea of sort of distinguishing between sort of surface level plot 
and the underlying theme of it. That the plot can be dismissed as either shallow or the plot can be dismissed as zany and just silly hijinks. But underneath that lies that idea of the imperfectibility of a person can still get them to happiness and things like that. So so I hadn't thought about that prior to this discussion. I thought we were all going to come away saying, like, they're bad. But yeah, I think, I think if we can sort of sift out the external elements of it from what's at the core of a rom-com, uh, there's probably a more redemptive quality there than I initially gave it credit for. I was going to ask if rom-coms are to love what action movies are to violence or, like, what, you know, R-rated movies are to, like, foul language or something like that. I was wondering about the Motion Picture Association of America, and if we should have ratings that say, like, rated PG-13 for acts of violence, smoking, and, like, unrealistic portrayals of love or something like that, you know? Like, like if they took that into account and were like, hey, parents, parental guidance is suggested for a movie that suggests you see a kid in the hallway and you fall in love with them, and so, I don't know, what do you think? Do we need to rewrite these rules and... Do we need to give more credit to uh, the messages of love? You're, I'm getting a lot of nods here in the room. I feel like I have a groundswell of support here. I just imagined having a warning saying, like, warning, codependency. Yes! That's, but I think that would be good. I think that would be good, yeah. This is not love. This is codependence, right? This is not love. This is infatuation or whatever. This is a relationship based on a lie, you know? I mean, you know, I think maybe that would be good to... I'm just I'm just throwing ideas out there. Mm-hmm. The health teacher in me says absolutely. Because there you go. I try to teach healthy relationships, and they don't see healthy relationships right. very often, especially in movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They see infatuation, or they see just being so dependent upon somebody else that they that's their one person. Okay. And so it's hard for me to teach healthy relationships because they don't see it. Well, and or you could use them as the opposite. Like, watch mm-hmm. all of these movies, <laughs> do the opposite of these people, you know. I would love to have a conversation I later think, about... Go ahead. I was going to say... To your question about are they similar to action movies, and I do think there is an element of, like, emotional catharsis Mm -hmm. that just, like, maybe seeing something destroyed on screen is like, oh, yeah, there's power on on screen or, or, you know... All of that energy or something. I don't know. That... Or, or seeing it destroyed in a new way. Like, oh, we've never done this stunt in a movie before. And then the rom-com is the same thing. It's like, what romantic entanglement have we not done yet? Ooh, this is a new angle, you know? So it it does seem to be like, whether it's violence or whether it's love, it's like the movie industry is just like like a bunch of piranhas. Like, how many different angles can we attack this this meat that is human existence, you know? And if the goal of movies is to get us to feel... yeah. I think that's at the heart of romance or rom-coms. I love it. I love that answer. That just warmed my heart. I'm having a great time. Okay, we're going to keep on going. Um, We're going to get to one of my favorite parts of Draft Picks where we play a game called Is This a Rom-Com? Now, normally I have like three lists on the... I think I have five movies listed. But one of the things we do here is we always try to define what the genre is and isn't. So I'm going to name a movie. I'm going to say three, two, one. And if you've seen the movie, you got to give me a yes or a no from the gut or from your heart as to whether or not it's a rom-com. If you haven't seen the movie, you can just say, I haven't seen the movie. So, movie number one. Is this a rom-com? Wayne's World. Three, two, one. No. No. <laughs> okay. No. Why not? Wayne and Cassandra, right? He sees her playing on stage, Dreamweaver. And he sees her in the slow motion, and they fall in love, and Rob Lowe is there to be sort of the rival, and he drives back to get her at the end, and he saves her. The large part of the movie is built around the romance of Wayne and Cassandra. 
But it's not the central relationship. I mean, you could maybe say it's a platonic rom-com. Between between Wayne and and Garth, you're saying? Maybe. Like a a buddy, Mm -hmm. like a bromance or something. Okay. Okay. I would say because it's not the main aspect of the movie. Because that's a side aspect that we see. Okay. We hear about her all through the movie, but it's not... Okay, I'm out. Okay, okay. I was ready to go to. I was ready to go to bat for it. Yeah, I just realized maybe one of my potential picks. I just undermined. (laughs) Oh yes, my my mind game that I'm like. (laughs) Argument, my own pick. Ooh. All right, don't think about it. Don't think about it. It's fine. (laughs) So Wayne's World went down two to one. Okay, I I would gently say maybe it was, but okay. All right, is this a rom com? Anchorman, three, two, one. No. Why not? Not the central idea. Yes, it is though. It's Will. It's Ron Burgundy is this stunted Arrested Development guy. He meets Veronica Corningstone. They have a meet cute. They have a relationship. AFI says romantic comedy is a genre in which the development of a romance leads to comic situations. The development of their romance. You changed my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my impulse. I'll go with it. My impulse was to say no because. Anchorman is all about Ron Burgundy, but then then again, so are a lot of rom-coms that have females as the mm-hmm. lead. It's all about them and in their world and how usually a male transforms their life. So I guess, so, I guess you've convinced me. I'm glad I've convinced you, but I will say this. <laughs> Every once in a while, I grade a paper where it's like on the rubric, they get like a 90 out of 100, but the paper's really like a 78. But they somehow just met all the boxes. And I kind of feel that way with Anchorman. Like, I feel like it checks all the boxes, but I feel a little bit ooky saying, yep, it's a romantic comedy. But it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't romantic. feel like no. it. But I think, ugh, I feel like if, it, if we're kind of going by the rubric, I, I think you have a case to be made there. So, all right. We're, see, we're widening the genre already. Okay, next movie. Jerry Maguire. Is that a rom-com? Three, two, one. Yes. No. Whoa! Controversy! Okay. All right. Wally, start us up. Why is Jerry Maguire a rom-com? We're just going back to everything that we already talked about. It's not the central plot of it, but it does happen, and funny things happen because so of So what is the central the plot of... Is it, the, is it the, the Rod Tidwell element? The football element is the bigger piece? I think so. I think that's the central element. Because he, he doesn't run back to Rod Tidwell after leaving her. He leaves Rod Tidwell, gets on that plane. You Complete Me is to, is to Renee Zellweger. It's not to, it's not to Rod. All the big mo- I mean, I don't know. It's, is it a romantic movie? Yes. Is it comedy? No. Yes. Why not? I mean, is there humor outside of the Cuba Gooding Jr. character? Mm, yes. He provides comic relief. <laughs> so it's the comedy bit that it falls down on. Right. Is Tom Cruise funny? I think he's hilarious, but maybe he's not trying to be. No, I don't know. That yeah, was an uncharitable thing to say about Tom <laughs> Cruise. Okay. So we got a split decision there. Okay. Is this a rom-com? Dumb and Dumber. Three, two, one. My my gut says no. No. <laughs> So, but you're making me rethink everything I thought. That's what I do here. <laughs> so Jim Carrey falls in love with uh, Swanson, sappy, sloppy Sw- Samsonite, Mrs. Samsonite, and, <laughs> and he drives across the country, and he's in love with her. And the reason I ask is because he is madly in love as much as he can be in love with his emotional stuntedness. She has no idea he exists. So my question is: Can a romantic comedy exist if? 
the romance is not mutual. I think in a stereotypical rom-com, the people end up together. Mm -hmm. There is... I mean, there are certainly the bittersweet and the more indie rom-coms where, you know, it's their own personal growth is the happy ending, or maybe it's kind of ambiguous. But usually, no, I I wouldn't associate a rom-com with them not ending up together. Okay. All right. Because they have no romantic moments together. Okay. Which I think He misconstrues her basic human politeness as he's driving her to the airport, like, I'm just going to treat you well, and he falls in love with her. But that's not, strictly speaking, romance. That's just him being a kind of gentle spirit little guy who then drives across the country. Okay. Infatuation. Infatuation. (laughs) There you go. Warning. PG-13 for (laughs) some foul language and infatuation. (laughs) Before I get to my last movie, are there any movies that you were coming across that you were... You were stymied by, and you needed to bring it to the the court, the appeals court here for rom coms. Well, now I don't want to, because what if I give out a movie and then okay. we decide that that's it's fine? Not. That's fair. We can have a little. I think the movie I was debating was Pride and Prejudice. Mm. So we could go to the classic definition of a comedy, because in the classic definition, it's not necessarily doesn't make you laugh; it's doesn't end happily. And in that thing, she ends up with the guy. I watched Mr. Darcy. And the English teacher in me is just embarrassing himself on the podcast right now. I have no idea about any of this stuff. That's okay. But so Cut from a out. classical definition, you could say it's a romantic comedy in that it ends happily. But it's not a, like a laugh riot. So There's certain certainly absurdity. Mm. Like the mother is a source of absurdist humor. Okay. In the story. Then I think we should go a- with it. As are her sisters. But I wouldn't say it was typically comical. Maybe an elevated, you know, mm. like oh, yes. like on the opposite side from Anchorman. If we're making the spectrum of romantic <laughs> comedy sophistication, from Anchorman's highbrow up. to lowbrow. <laughs> That's right. That's about as highbrow as it's going to get. Okay, my last movie. Is this a rom-com? Love Actually. Three, two, one. Yes. I say yes as well. That was a way longer pause than I thought we were going to get. Okay, so <laughs> tell me why begrudgingly Love Actually is a rom-com. I think it has all of the dynamics of a rom-com. And I loved Love Actually until I read the famous think piece that says, no, it is not a rom-com. And it sort of ruined it for me. So So I think you're referring to a 2013 article from The Atlantic. Uh, Love Actually is actually the least romantic movie of all time is the title. Have you read this article? I've not read this okay. one. I'm excited so yeah, this was this was all over the Facebooks in uh, in 2013 and it really took it was a, a hit piece on Love Actually. The author uh, of the article was Christopher Orr, laid it out as flat out anti-romantic and said, "Quote, I think it offers up at least 3 disturbing lessons about love. First, that love is overwhelmingly a product of physical attraction and requires virtually no verbal communication or intellectual or emotional affinity of any kind. Second, that the principal barrier to, to consummating a relationship is mustering the nerve to say I love you, preferably with some grand gesture, and that once you manage that, you're basically on the fast track to nuptial bliss. And third, that any actual obstacle to romantic fulfillment, however surmountable, is not worth the effort it would require to overcome. So the movie is rife with bad lessons. But kind of going back to what we were saying earlier, a lot of rom-coms, on the surface at least, don't have good lessons about love. So I don't know. What do we think? It's teaching all the wrong lessons, but is it a rom-com? 
I think so because we're still talking. It's a relationship. Maybe it's an unhealthy relationship, but mm-hmm. it's still a relationship. Okay. It's based on that relationship, and there's comedic parts of it. Okay. So it is, I think, a rom com. I agree, okay. rom com, but a problematic one. We can wag our finger at it, but it fits. <laughs> it fits our rubrics. I mean, okay. like so many of them. Okay. You know, rom com with. Problematic relationship aspects, or whatever. <laughs> Which brings me to my next question. So this is the whole Love Actually section because I think Love Actually seemed to, if not spawn, kind of popularized the sort of ensemble rom com where there's not one movie, but there's like six movies. So like a Valentine's Day, he's just not that into you. New Year's Eve, six different intertwined stories. My question is: Are these kinds of movies good for the genre, or are these? A symptom that like the genre is dying and we can't we just can't make them work on their own legs anymore i personally don't like them because you think of iconic movies and you think of the couples that are in those iconic movies right whereas you don't feel as close to those six characters in those other movies that have all of those relationships because this is a lot to take in so it's the relationship between the two people on screen but it's also the relationship that we the audience build with those people you know and that's what's missing when you only get out of a two-hour movie you're with this one couple for 17 minutes or something like that and they either end up together or they don't rachel what do you think i think there are certainly some memorable ensemble films like there was one that I bought on DVD 10 years ago or something. Shameful confessions with Rachel Reinberg. <laughs> um, I think it's Je t'aime Paris. It's on our DVD it shelf. Is. I still it haven't is. watched it. And it's a series of short films about sometimes love stories, but also love of the city of Paris. But to me, that was a really memorable and moving film where, right, it seems like Movie executives have caught on to this formula. It's a paycheck for these big name celebrities, which gets people out to the movie theaters. I think, yeah, he's just not that into into you as one of those like ensembles. Same with those New Year's Day, Valentine's mm-hmm. Day. Like I can't even remember. Isn't there a Mother's Day one? I'm sure. There's Labor so many. Day, Arbor Day, Flag Day. <laughs> they're gonna I have mean, all the they're gonna have all of the days. It's gonna right. be like August thirteenth. You know, <laughs> it's just gonna be like every day in the calendar. Yeah. So leap I, day, that'd be a good one. Let's write the movie Leap Day because it's like a leap there's a year. leap year. Oh, there is. Yes. Oh, shucks. But okay. we can do Leap Day. Leap Day. All right. So good for the genre, bad for the genre. Overall, bad. Okay. I think when done well and thoughtfully, it can give you a view of uh, a broader view of humanity and of love. I like the theme that we're kind of building here. <laughs> this is good. We're, we're getting to somewhere. Final question on my love actually corner is uh, Liam Neeson in Love Actually plays a widower. Tom Hanks in Sleepless in Seattle plays a widower. Michael Douglas in The American President plays a widower. And Jude Law, apparently in The Holiday, which I only read about, plays a widower. So my question is, why is it that there are so many widowers in rom-coms? As we're investigating genre tropes, this one came up an awful lot. I think it's to build sympathy for their characters, Mm -hmm. to sort of humanize. I don't know if there's a need to, like bring more of the softer side to those traditionally male characters Mm -hmm. that then wins us over as an audience, perhaps. It seems like that's a classic storytelling formula that out of tragedy comes love or a redemption in life in some way of of healing. So, What do you think, Wally? 
I think I agree with Rachel. You get more of that humanity and you get sympathy for them as a character. And I don't know, I feel like you get attached to them easier because you know that they've been through this horrific experience. It's an interesting Hollywood with its misogyny. I don't know. Again, as a as the as the feminist on the show, you know, uh, I always want to make sure that I'm pointing out those gender roles and stereotypes. Okay, last thing before we get to the draft, uh, it's Shakespeare Corner time. I'm super excited because uh, there's an article on AV Club that was written by Caroline Seed called "William Shakespeare Invented Every Romantic Comedy Trope We Love Today." So I'm going to run through five rom-com tropes invented or popularized or coined by Shakespeare. You tell me which one is your favorite, okay? Rom-com trope number one is actually from a tragedy. It's the Romeo and Juliet trope, where it's the star-crossed lovers. Pretty woman, love actually, sleepless in Seattle, people who should be together, but circumstances are driving them apart. Rom-com trope number two is much ado about nothing. Much ado about nothing is they start out hating each other, they end up loving each other, and they possibly loved each other the whole time. They just weren't willing to admit it. So when Harry met Sally, it happened one night, Groundhog Day. The third one is the Taming of the Shrew rom-com. This is when the unlovable person, someone brings out the love in them. So it's not necessarily they hate each other, but it's just the person who, you know, so it's, it's ten things I hate about you, it's the proposal, it is, oh, the music man with... You know, the Shirley Jones character who is just a piano teacher who will not have a man in her life, that kind of thing. And then the final one is Twelfth Night, which is the hidden identity. I'm getting to know you by being someone else. So, of those five, star-crossed lovers, we hate each other, then we love each other. The person who cannot... Oh, there's only four. I can't count. They hate each other, but they love each other. The person who cannot love, or the hidden identity. Which one is the best rom-com trope, Rachel? The person who is now able to love. The Taming of the Shrew. Yes. Taming of the Shrew. Rachel puts down. Uh, fun fact. I Oh! In, this is a fun fact! In high school theater, I played, they took the father character and turned it into a mother character. I believe that was Bassanio. Is that right? Does that uh, sound right? Signora Baptista. Baptista, that's what it was. Yes. I'm embarrassing yes. myself all over the place. That's right. Fun I was fact. in the wrong play there. Yeah, that's right. 11th grade. All right. The unlovable person learns to love. So we have one Taming of the Shrew. What do you got, Wally? I'm also Taming of the Shrew. Wow! That's I am, surprising. I am a huge underdog kind of person, and I always cheer for the underdog, and I feel like that is the underdog in... Okay. Yes. Rom-coms. Wow. I agree. Cool. I'm going to go with the Much Ado About Nothing trope, just because I love that play so much. And so uh, that's interesting that both of you went for the Taming of the Shrew. Awesome. Let's jump into our draft. So, we are going to be having the ultimate rom-com movie draft. Each of us is going to draft in seven categories. The seven categories we're going to draft in are the couple. We get to draft a friend, because every rom-com has a good friend. There is often a rival suitor, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, someone who is trying to get the affections of one of the couples. There's always a meet-cute. Merriam-Webster defines a meet-cute as a cute, charming, or amusing first encounter between romantic partners, as in a movie. There's always a conflict that drives a wedge between the two. There is always a grand gesture of some kind, a speech, a purchase, some kind of sacrifice or a gesture of goodwill. And then we'll have a wild card selection, which is just something that doesn't fit cleanly in the, uh, in the categories, but is really important to it overall. So, a couple of ground rules. We only draft little slices of the movie. So if somebody takes the couple from a particular movie, all the other pieces of that movie are still eligible. 
So we could have the same movie drafted multiple times in different categories. We can also have talks about whether or not something is a rom-com. Kind of throw the flag there if we think, like, wait a minute, Full Metal Jacket is not a rom-com or whatever. The draft will be in seven rounds. We will randomize the draft order at this time and find out who is drafting first. So, the draft order has been randomized. The first pick is going to go to Rachel. The second pick is going to go to me. And the third pick is going to go to Kelly. This is a snake draft, which means that after the first round, the draft order reverses. Kelly will have the first pick in round two, and we'll kind of swing back and forth and back and forth like that. So, that is how we're going to begin. Let us move into the draft with round one, pick one. A lot of pressure on Rachel's shoulders. Rachel, what is the first overall pick in the rom-com draft? I'm feeling really good about this. I'm really excited. (laughs) First round draft pick. So I have to say, um, Harry and Sally from When Harry Met Sally is my favorite rom-com couple. I feel like there should be some announcement, like, with the NFL draft and (laughs) from the University of (laughs) such and such. From Castle Rock Studios, directed by Nora (laughs) Ephron. Or, no, Rob Reiner, excuse me, written by by Nora Ephron. I just am all over the place. See how Rachel just gets me stumbling all over myself. So I always, great pick, first of all. Let's just get that right out there from the outset. That is a great pick. A lot of weight to the, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a, 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 a vaunted thing to be the first overall pick. I think Harry and Sally are a very appropriate pick for the first overall pick. Wally, what do you think of Harry and Sally? That was my first overall pick oh! as well. So I'm a little crushed right now oh because that was my pick because they are the iconic couple, I think. Absolutely. Okay. So that's a very strong start for Rachel with Harry and Sally as the couple. So I have the second pick and... I'm going to actually stick with When Harry Met Sally. When Harry Met Sally gets the first two picks overall because I am going to go to that movie for my meet-cute. The meet-cute of... Oh, and Kelly, you're just nodding sadly. Are we just taking all of your picks right now? You are taking all <laughs> so, of my picks right now. So when Harry Met Sally is just the juggernaut, you know, it's like the it's like the national title-winning college of rom-coms because it's got players at every position. I'm going to take the meet-cute, the drive from Chicago... All the way to New York. It is, what, 18 hours in the car, and they talk, and they're so, <laughs> they're so from such different worlds. And it's, um, we, we mentioned Nora Ephron earlier, the writing of that scene, I think it just establishes not only their relationship, but I think it just establishes tropes for movies from here on out. This is the new way to write uh, the meet-cute and the first interaction. So for uh, for Meg Ryan and for Billy Crystal and Nora Ephron and Rob Ryder, the meet-cute from Chicago to New York, that is going to be the second overall pick. I'm very happy. We move to the end of round one and pick number three. Wally, you are on the board. Take it away. All right, I am going with my first pick because I'm nervous that this one would be taken before I could get it, and I got to snatch up what I can because... Two of mine have already been taken. So I am going with the rival suitor. Mm. And I'm going with the princess bride. Whoa! With Wesley and Prince Humperdinck. Wow! I think that was on my list as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. Prince Humperdinck, great, great rival. I think he was on... Yep, he was indeed on my list. Yeah. Rachel, what do you think of Prince Humperdinck? Is it... Are they really suitors? Was he in the running? He was He's married her. Yeah. So she has to. She be. didn't want to marry she him. She had no choice. Yeah. Boom! Yeah, I... 
Yeah, it's, oh not, a, it's not a true rival. So you take Ooh. her pick and then you kind of throw her under the He's bus. Smashing like, it down. Wow. Saying no. This might be the biggest fight we've had on draft pick so far. This is really something. So the reason yeah. I'm saying I think suitors. it's I think it, I think it's legit. Okay. I had it on my list as well. They're yeah. suitors because Wesley is trying to get her away from him. Sure. Is he the perfect choice? Absolutely not. He's right. terrible. He's horrible. But he is the one that gets to marry her. Fair enough. And again, as a suitor, he's literally like, hey, please consider me as an alternative to suicide. You know, I mean, he's trying to be the rival. Mm-hmm. She's she's resistant. But uh, yeah, I think that uh, I think that's up. That's that's strong. I like it. Prince Humperdinck is off the board. So we have two when Harry met Sally's and a princess bride. That's a pretty strong start, I think, for our draft. That's going to move us right into round two. We're going to turn the order around, which means Wally picks again. You are on the board. All right. So I'm going with the meet cute. And I'm going with the holiday. And I'm not going with the typically mm. romantic comedy meet cute because I had never known what meet cute was until I watched the holiday and mm. Arthur explained it to me. So uh. Arthur and Iris, when they meet, he's lost. He doesn't know where he's going. And Iris picks him up in her car and takes him to his house and explains everything. And he was telling her that this would be a perfect meet cute mm. for them. So... That was when I first learned about meat cute, so I feel like that has to be my. It's pick. it's the meta meat cute, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the meat cute about the meat cute, yeah. Excellent. All right. The holiday. What are your thoughts on the holiday, Rachel? Yeah. Are you gonna throw this pick under no, the bus too? No. That oh my god. Absolutely not. I think that's another example of a great ensemble rom com. The star power in that movie is amazing. I was going to mention another meta meet cute please do reference so i was watching the third installment of the to all the boys i've ever loved before on netflix and the i think lana is her name the main character is explaining to her boyfriend these key features of rom-coms and was explaining the meet cute and they're watching rom-coms together and kind of tying them in throughout the movie I think EZA is another one that yes, that a lot draws. of meta. Yeah, mm-hmm. meta commentary. Mm-hmm. But I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. That seems to be the new thing. It's a self-aware genre now. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. We don't see that in action movies, right? They don't shoot somebody in the head and go, "Oh, I should have a great catchphrase here or whatever," right? Okay, interesting. We've discovered so much already. The meta commentary. <laughs> Moving to the second pick in round two. This is my pick, and I think I'm going to go into the friend category. The friend that I'm going to take is from My Best Friend's Wedding, and I'm going to take the character of George, played by Rupert Everett, who is Julia Roberts' very good friend in that movie. I'm taking George for a very specific reason, and it's, I remember seeing this movie in the theater, and I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to a rom-com, whatever, but that movie really impressed me with the way it twisted the genre in a couple of different ways, and specifically, in the moment when he's on the phone with her, and he's like, you're chasing him? Yes, I'm chasing him. And who is chasing you? And she's like, nobody. And he says, well, there's your answer, right? And so, first of all, he's just an awesome character. I just, I love Rupert Everett in general, and I love George. Very deep. Yeah. And, and, and just, but that idea of like, you know, your true friend who's like, it's time to let this one go, you know, versus the messaging, as we talked about before, of like, do anything for love. Don't give up. Don't take no for an answer, where he had to just let her know. And... I just, I think that's true friendship right there. So George is a great character. I love him. I think he's great. And he's going to be my friend. Uh, Wally, what do you think of George? I love him. I think that's a great choice. He is the friend that 
almost everybody needs because he's going to help guide you, not just tell you exactly mm-hmm. what it is. The end of round two is Rachel's pick. Rachel, what do you got? I'm going to pick under the rival category, Hugh Grant versus Colin Firth in Bridget Jones's Diary. Ooh, okay. And I think what I love about that pairing is you have sort of the bad boy versus the always finishes last character. And I just, I, I love just about everything about that movie. <laughs> Does it make me a bad person to think like, because they're British, that it's hard for me to picture them as bad boys? Like, I just always picture them as snooty, like, I don't know. Oh, hello, my darling. Would you like, uh, whatever, you know. It's sort of like one of them is the sort of self-destructive pick for Bridget Jones. Yeah. And then the other is the healthier adult relationship choice. So I think that conflict maybe between our more youthful Mm. decisions and making, you know, finding romantic partners to growing into more adult, healthier, Mm. mature relationships. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just want to scream through the screen, this is the correct one. Choose this person. Well, Wally, I was going to say, this is your first opportunity to throw one of Rachel's picks under the Uh, bus. So if you feel like just telling her she's an idiot because for a little bit of vengeance, you can do that. But I agree. But you agree, right? The the logic cannot be denied there. I'll get her sometime. (laughs) Some point point before the end of this podcast, just let her have it. All right, we're we're moving into round three. The first pick goes back to Rachel again, so we're going the other direction. Rachel, you're on the clock once more. When I think of the rom-coms of my youth, the ones that I would go to the movie theater and see when I was in high school with a bunch of friends, I think of Judy Greer as the friend. She's sort of that composite character, the quirky best friend who's loyal and always there and gives some comedic relief. So, Judy Greer. So you're taking the kind of the the collected works of Judy Greer. So this would include movies like... 27 Dresses. Okay, hold on. 27 Dresses. 13 Going on 30. Okay. The Wedding Planner. Okay. This is is what we call a Jeff Visner pick, because when Jeff was in your chair, he picked all of the collected works of Anthony Michael Hall as the nerd, and so this is kind of that same idea, like, for kind of cornering the market on being the friend in the rom-com, Judy Greer is, uh, is your pick there. So you get all the movies. You get all the Judy Greers. Yeah, and I think she has sort of filled that niche in rom-coms, or at least did for a while. Excellent pick. Thank you very much. So Judy Greer is off the board for a variety of movies, her whole canon there. Which brings us back to my pick in round three, the second pick in round three. And now we're starting to get to, I got sort of my my heartfelt picks off the board, but I do have one more heartfelt pick, which I think I'm going to take right now. Not because I think that someone else is going to take it, but because I just want to talk about it. I'm going to the conflict. And I try to make one very pretentious choice every draft, and I'm going to make a pretentious choice this draft. My conflict is coming from Much Ado About Nothing, the Kenneth Branagh movie adaptation in uh, 1993, something like that. It is one of my favorite scenes of all time. It is one of the reasons that I directed the show a couple of years ago, because I love the scene so much. But when Kenneth Branagh, Benedict, and Beatrice, played by Emma Thompson, they finally confess their love for one another. He, They kiss. He says, bid me do anything for thee. And she says, kill Claudio, who is his best friend. And it is this incredible moment of a very offensive phrase that sometimes gets thrown around about bros being put in front of women. And I'm not going <laughs> to say the phrase as it's meant. But it's amazing to me that, you know, 
in Shakespeare's time, we still had this idea of guys being like, I can be faithful to my gal, or I can be faithful to my bros. And he chose, at first at least, he chose, he, he wanted to choose his buddy. He wanted to go with Claudio and be like, and obviously you don't want to kill someone. But because Shakespeare called it hundreds of years ago, and this is a, still a thing that's happening right now, I think it's the ultimate conflict in a relationship. I will not be with you unless you kill your best friend. And so for that reason, I'm going with Kill Claudio from Much Ado About Nothing. Rachel, what do you think? Sounds great. <laughs> Molly, what do you think? I can't give any insight, background insight, but what you said okay. was perfect. Well, you, thank you. I, you made a compelling case. I did. I like. Yes. I think most of my cases are pretty. Compelling. You must be a teacher. Yeah. So that's my pick. I don't know that I. I don't know that I brought the place down with my pick, but I'm happy with it. We're gonna move to the end of round three with Kelly's pick. This is your third pick. Go ahead. All right. So I'm going with Melanie and Jake from Sweet Home Alabama Ooh. as my couple. Because I just love their relationship as they've grown. So when we first meet Melanie and Jake, they are very young. I want to say around 9 to 10 years old. And I just remember the line of he says, or she says, sorry, why do you want to marry me anyways? And he says, so I can kiss you anytime I want. Wow. And it's just that iconic line. And you see them go through their life. They grow apart. And then they come back together. And it's just... Fantastic, and I just love them as a couple. I'm probably going to cut what I'm about to say. Okay. But I have found in my experience that simply being married to someone doesn't mean I get to kiss them whenever I want. <laughs> so I'm just I'm just putting that out there. That movies are lies. <laughs> movies are just constant lies. Isn't that what we said though? The yeah, whole that time? is. But I just <laughs> let's keep I don't it professional. Know. We'll, Mr. we'll have a we'll have a conversation this weekend. We'll find out on Monday morning yep. if that fits into the podcast. But I just want to have the record show at least for the time being. That's my thought. That's my response to what you just picked. Yep. All right, and that's played by that's Reese Witherspoon and. Am I right? I, yes, it yeah. is Reese Witherspoon, but I don't remember the name. And some guy. Yep. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's Reese, it's, it's, Reese, it's Reese, Reese Witherspoon and some yep. guy. All right. That's the end of round three, which means we go to round four, and we turn it around, and Wally's up again. All right. I'm going with the conflict next, and I'm going with 51st Dates Whoa! with Henry and Lucy. And the conflict is that Lucy's memory erases every single night, so she can't remember her relationship with Henry. But he finds this very imaginative way of making that relationship work. I hadn't thought about that one. Yeah, that that's that's a perfect conflict. Yeah, I like that. Thank you very much. Uh, in our list of Shakespearean things, what is that? Is that a is that a Twelfth Night hidden identity? What is that? Is what? maybe Shakespeare isn't always. Shakespeare is always the answer. I don't know. What are you talking about? I can't believe you're saying this on a podcast right now. We'll have to figure out a way to. No, I think that's great. Yeah, Rachel, fifty first dates, go. I just know it's one of the many Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore pairings, and they seem to have chemistry. All right, so we got the ever forgetting fifty first dates there with Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler for the pick in round four. My pick in round four is going to be my rival. This is a very Tony pick that, and I don't mean Tony like Tony, I mean Tony like Tony. This is a very, that made sense in my head. This is a very Tony pick because I just love this movie. I'm going to the movie High Fidelity, which I love. I love that movie. The rival in that movie is Ian, played by Tim Robbins. And his and John Cusack's ex-girlfriend goes to him, this disgusting guy 
who then shows up at John Cusack's record store to sort of have a man-to-man talk about, like, you need to leave her alone. And uh, I'm drafting Tim Robbins, A, because he's hilarious as Ian, but mostly because John Cusack has a fantasy in the movie where he thinks about all the things he would do to this rival. He picks up the phone and smashes him in the face and knocks his teeth out. He yells at him. He calls him names and all this kind of stuff. It's just, I love that, we talked about catharsis earlier. I love that idea of just the cathartic rage you can you can sort of spew at a rival. So my rival is going to be the very threatening Ian, played by Tim Robbins from High Fidelity. Uh, I got some smirks from Rachel, so Rachel, I think you like my pick. Tell me more about High Fidelity. You like that movie? I think I've seen it once with, ah! with Tony, and oh. I liked it. All right, so Ian is my guy. We move to the end of round four, and Rachel's pick. I am going to be looking under the conflict category, and this is sort of similar to the themes that I was talking about in Bridget Jones's diary, and sort of that conflict against oneself. And I'm picking in Bridesmaids, so Annie, Kristen Wiig's character, not only the conflict about her importance to her best friend, but then also um, kind of getting out of her own way and being able to pursue a relationship with Officer Rhodes and being able to get over her past hurt and enter into like vulnerable places of starting her business again and jumping into a relationship. Well, if there were an opening to throw Rachel under the bus, do we want to take it here? Do you want to talk about Bridesmaids as a romantic comedy or do you do you feel like it's a romantic comedy? I think it's a ra- romantic comedy. Is it comedy. the central... But we were talking that, a lot earlier about the central conflict. Like, you weren't giving me whatever, Dumb and Dumber or I whatever, know, you know, know, so... But is it the conflict category? Because it's not between each other, Right. It's within. It's within. It's within, yeah. So that would be my problem with it. But I can also see how that could be a conflict because it's it's something that's keeping her from the relationship. You girls just stick together. Uh, That was just, (laughs) I teed that up for you to be able to just take her out right at the knees. I tried, I tried. It was an inner conflict that then became the wedge between them. She makes a cake for him, but he's already mad at her because of whatever. So, okay. So the conflict is our own feelings of struggle and inadequacy. There you go. That is the conflict from Bridesmaids. Great movie, by the way. We're moving all the way into round five. We are just zipping along here, and Rachel is up next. Oh, I'm I'm so excited that this category hasn't been touched on yet, and that is the grand gesture. And to me, the most iconic grand gesture in rom-com recent history and kind of pop culture awareness would be in Say Anything, John Cusack holding the boombox above his head, trying to get the attention of, I think her name is Diane, and just make that grand gesture to win her back. Have you seen Say Anything, Lonnie? I have seen Say Anything. All right, so again, another opportunity for you to tell Rachel to her face that John Cusack should just leave her alone and let her sleep and keep his distance. Am I right? This is a toxic gesture. This is a man who won't take no for an answer, so tell her that she's wrong. But I can't because Gah! he eventually wins her heart. Gah! Okay. All right. That's where I think I can't help but like tear down my own choices <laughs> because it's still like the romantic husbands included, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, the romantic in me 
loves those grand gestures. The everyday human in me says, let's respect boundaries. Yeah. And she's given her answer. That she be, said no. She's moved Stop on. It. All of right. these would be such great rom-com titles. Set the, respect the boundaries. <laughs> she said no. Let's move on. Those are the rom-coms of the 21st century. I think we need to be ready. Okay. Respect her boundaries. I love it. Okay, so John Cusack, uh, Peter Gabriel, we should just say that name out loud right now. Peter Gabriel, in your eyes, uh, such an iconic moment. All right, the grand gesture. The first one is off the board. I think that's a good first uh, grand gesture to be off the board. Coming back in round five, it is my pick. And this is where I think I start to get into picks that I'm pretty sure neither of you are going to have any interest in, and that's okay. So I think I'm just going to go ahead and take my couple. I'm not going to, I don't want to like, you know, yuck my own yum here. But uh, I don't, I think this is just as good a couple as I'm going to take. One thing I found doing this research is I think the couple was actually the least interesting category for me to look into, which was a surprise to me because I had Harry and Sally pretty high, like, oh, they're great. But as I started going down the list, I was like, eh, I'm not sure. So for my couple, I'm going to go to the movie The American President, which is a great movie and I love it. And I'm going to take Michael Douglas in by far his least creepy role. And I'm gonna take. He's so gross. And I'm gonna take. Uh, I'm gonna take him and Annette Bening, Sidney Ellen Wade, played by Annette Bening, Andrew Shepard, the president, played by Michael Douglas. This is my couple because number one, uh, I learned on an episode of the Rewatchables that cut scenes of the American president then went on to become The West Wing, and so we can thank rom coms. For the iconic TV show The West Wing, which I love, and I love Aaron Sorkin. But also because they spend a little bit less time in that movie having the characters being idiosyncratic or quirky or whatever. And it's just like, we're very, very busy, and romance takes time. And when is it worth it to sort of slow down and take that time? And I think both of them find that in their own way. So I like their dynamic. Like I said, it's Michael Douglas. I think it is least greasy and gross. So my couple is going to be Andrew Shepard. And Sydney Ellen Wade from The American President. Have you seen it? I have not seen it. Oh American man, President. it's so good. Rachel, do you like The American President? Yes. Awesome. I'm just adding to my list of movies that I need to watch now. This is a great list we're building for you. That brings us to the end of round five, and Kelly's pick. Take it away. All right. So this one, I am going with the friend category. And this one took me a while because there's so many great friends that I wanted to choose from, but there's so many great movies as well. And one movie that I absolutely love, and I wasn't sure how else I would get it into this conversation, was Never Been Kissed. Ah! And I am choosing Anita as the friend because she goes above and beyond going into high school, teaching classes like I teach, aka sex ed, not in the ways that I would teach it. Ah! But... Tell us more about that. <laughs> well, what are the differentiations so between those two? Let's just say that I don't ever bring a banana into the class. <laughs> And so Molly Shannon, she's just hilarious. And it was just one of those movies that I absolutely loved and it was perfect. So Anita, I think, is such a supportive friend, maybe not always making the best of choices, but still supportive and wanting the best for her friend. Excellent. I like the pick. Thank you very much. All right. We are going to round six. Kelly, you have the first pick. All right. Going with my last category before the wild card, because I'm saving that for last. So I am going grand romantic gesture, and I'm going 10 things I hate about you. And when Heath Ledger 
a.k.a. Patrick, sings to Cat in front of the entire stadium full of people who were there for practice. And he's singing, can't take my eyes off of you in the bleachers, trying to win her over. That was just, I just remember that. And I'm like, why can't somebody do that for me? But if I were in her situation, I wouldn't want that to happen because I would be so embarrassed that it was happening to me at the same time. Right. I mean, that's the funny thing is, like, those are the storylines that are, like, so appealing in rom-coms. But in real life, like, <laughs> I don't want a big public proposal, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want all of that attention on me, but there must be something about these stories that, like... We want to like them, mm-hmm. but don't necessarily want to live them. We don't want to experience <laughs> right. them. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That was going to be one of my things. Yeah, like a, a lot of the grand gestures we take a look at, yeah, if it were quote-unquote real life, you would be like, lock that person up. What are you doing? <laughs> don't you're, do you're, that to me, Yeah, please. that's literally <laughs> harassment right now. Like, you could literally go to jail for that, right? So you haven't taken my wild card, but uh, I think you've touched on it enough that I'm probably going to move elsewhere. Because 10 Things I Hate About You was the headliner on my list of possible wild cards, which is just absolutely shoehorned musical numbers into the, the genre. I made a list of movies that just for no apparent reason have people singing in the middle of them. <laughs> and I had 10 Things I Hate About You, My Best Friend's Wedding, 40-Year-Old Virgin, Anchorman, When Harry Met Sally, Dave, Pretty Woman, The Proposal. I mean, there's just something about we got to get these people to sing. And I think it has yep. to do with the widower conversation we were having earlier, which yes. is like... we got to get people to like these people and the best way to get people to like people is to have them sing and perform a little bit and so, embarrass them and embarrass right. themselves yeah yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. a very vulnerable thing so yeah exactly so i think i think we're onto something here there's something about having people sing so i think you hit on that i'm going to go to my grand gesture and i'm going to take one that i'm pretty sure rachel's just going to despise but that's okay i'm going to go to one of my favorite romantic comedies my grand gesture is going to come from the movie sideways i love the movie sideways and Rachel just made a face. And I'm watching her face. It's so good. So at the end of Sideways, Paul Giamatti, who who is someone who I feel very connected to in life, I think more and more I turn into Paul Giamatti a little bit more every year. He has established a relationship with a woman named Maya, but the relationship is basically based on a lie. Not basically. It's based on a lie. And she finds out about it. She is upset. In the meantime, prior to that, he gave her his, like, thousand-page manuscript to read. He's an aspiring writer. He's a high school English teacher who wants to be a great writer. Why would I like this movie so much, right? <laughs> so exactly. he gives her this book to read. Then she finds out that he lied to her. Then they have a big fight, and he leaves. The grand gesture is that she still reads the book. And I think what's so great about that is that usually in the movies, it's the person who screwed up who does the grand gesture as a way to atone for whatever it was they did. They've seen the light, they've changed, etc. And in this movie, not only as someone who's done a little bit of writing and knows how intimate it is to give someone else your writing and read it, there's an element of intimacy there, but it's also the fact that the person who was wronged as a sort of grand gesture to say, I forgive you, let's try this again, I read your book and I have some notes about it and I'd like to talk to you about it. So it's a, it's a huge spoiler, sorry about that. But Sideways is a beautiful film, and I wanted to make sure its name got said. And so for my grand gesture, I'm going to take Maya reading his thousand-page epic as a way to say, I forgive you for what you did. Rachel, how you doing over there? I just, I love that movie. It's a beautiful story. It's an underdog story, like you said, Wally, that you love. And I just think back, we watched that in our like early dating days, and... 
that character is just like so endearing and flawed and and i think i i said aloud at one point don't self-destruct <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. like yep. i just so wanted to see him make the right choices and for everything to turn out okay for him that's just like my empath mm-hmm. sometimes i feel the conflicts of the characters way more than i probably should and mm-hmm. i still just have such a tender spot you haven't seen it nope it is list. that like number four so for good. me now <laughs> and your husband's gonna be like i thought we were done with rom-coms <laughs> right. more rom-coms what we've is got this? more coming let's go all right finish out round six rachel okay i have not picked the meat cute yet right and i'm gonna go with sleepless in seattle all right granted it's sort of a drawn out meat cute it doesn't quite come until the end of the movie but i think when Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks are meeting for the first time on the top of the Empire State Building, there's just so something so iconically romantic about that. Yeah, I, I had that on my list as well for Meet Cutes. And yeah, you're right. It could either be innovative because the Meet Cute is at the end of the movie. It's literally the last scene. Or it could be the Meet Cute of I heard you on the radio. Then I got your letter. Then I saw you in the airport. Then I saw you in the street. You know, and... and yeah, that movie, like I said earlier, that's a movie that is, is near and dear to my heart. But I think that's an excellent pick. Sleepless in Seattle. I love it. Oh, it's a good, really good one. Excellent. Thank you very much. That means we go into the final round. Each of us have one pick left. Rachel, let's complete your roster. Mine is the wild card. And I'm going to go for a, a more poignant pick. So in Four Weddings and a Funeral, in the funeral scene... There is a eulogy where um, the partner who has just lost his love is reciting the poem, Stop All the Clocks. And one of my favorite professors in college used that poem and that scene to teach us about the, the power of poetry. And I just, I think of him every time I see that scene and it's a tender moment in the midst of a rom-com. And I think that's why I love it. Yeah, that's a great scene. That's a scene where I hadn't seen that movie prior to you and I meeting. And I remember you talking about that scene. And I was like, okay, I will watch for this scene. And I was sort of braced for it. But then, like, even knowing it was coming, once the scene started, you're just sort of drawn in. And it's just it's just sort of all-consuming. So, yeah, that's an excellent, that's an excellent pick there. Thank you very much. Oh, it's all heavy now. Okay, we're going to keep on going. I got my last pick, my wild card as well. My wild card is going to be parents. There are so many rom-coms where the couple, you get to meet their parents or you get to meet an, or, or a parental figure, right? And I, I love the idea that so many rom-coms are focused in on, um, you know, young love and what is our future going to be. And I like when the parents come in or the parental figure comes in with that perspective on here's what my life has been, you know? And so I think when we talk about the full scope of the journey of love and ultimately you end up hopefully as an old person with your love. And of course this came out of the, the elderly couples in when Harry met Sally to go back to that movie to hear their stories as well. And to think of that as the end, you know, a vision of the end of the stories we're telling right now. I think parental figures or the elderly characters in the movies, that's going to be my, my wild card to take away. Wally, what do you think of my parental figures? The old people in the movies, yes! I do like that. Yes. I think that's a good choice because they do have such wise remarks, generally. And usually they're the ones that help guide whoever is in the moment needing help. So 
I really like that choice. Thank you. Which brings us to our final pick in the draft. Kelly, what do you got? So I keep going back and forth because I'm a little nervous that the one that I want to say wouldn't be considered a rom-com. Oh, here we go. Let's get him out. So do my question it, is, do, do I it, do it or do, do I just go safe? This is about rom-coms. It's about following your heart. Follow your heart. Okay, so I am going with my wild card. I am going with the healing process. And I am choosing P.S. I Love You Ooh. as my rom-com. Stop, stop. No, I'm just kidding. Come on, please. please keep, <laughs> going. keep going. Keep going. So in the movie, Holly, played by Hilary Swank, is going through the healing process of losing her husband, um, I believe it's to a cancer or tumor, one of the two. So um, he's had time before he passes to help her heal through the process. And I think that it's fantastic. You get to see her move on as a person. You see her cling to her friends for support. And you get a lot of funny moments along the way. Rachel, you have one last opportunity to throw Kelly's pick under the bus, so you want to go ahead and take that? No. Okay. No, I don't. All right. You're looking at me with such... You're just, you're just disgusted by me right now and how I'm trying to make this work. Okay. All right. Stop trying to put a wedge between <laughs> That's us, right. Tony. That's Stop. right. I am the rival here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so first of all, before we move to our movie summaries, are there any honorable mentions where we didn't talk about this, but this movie or this character just needs to be shouted out? Oh, Molly? I, I have one. Yeah. So... Because we are in Minnesota. Yes. Nobody has talked about New in Town. Okay. Which is mm. a great rom-com, and it happens here, which there's not very many movies that have stereotypically Minnesotans. And because we're talking about Minnesota, we should also talk about Grumpy Old Men, yes. which is another rom-com that features elderly people, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the character in that movie, played by Anne Margaret, is based on... Winona State University theater professor Vivian Fusillo, who was my director what? and my teacher Very in cool. uh, Winona State. So shout out to Viv. You, all your students love you. And yeah, that one needs to be shouted out as well. So good for Minnesota. I'm glad Minnesota got some representation here. I think I already mentioned this, but the To All the Boys I've Loved Before series, what I'm liking is the streaming services, I think, are catching on to create their own movies that maybe are like a step above of the typical, you know, made for TV movies that I think there have been some pretty good quality rom-coms. So like Always Be My Maybe was another one on Netflix. I like that I can sit on my couch, have a good rom-com that I've never seen courtesy of Netflix or the other streaming Sit on your couch by yourself. Exactly. Can I add a few more yes, honorable of course. mentions? So I don't think, and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think any of us mentioned the classic 80s rom-coms, Pretty in Pink, 16 we Candles. We haven't mentioned, no. So I think that deserves right, an honorable I, mention yeah. as well. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to talk about each of our movies now in total. So Rachel's movie is called Beginning of the Ocean. Ooh. This is Rachel's movie. Harry and Sally meet. And their friend, Judy Greer, has introduced them. And they decide that uh, when they first meet, they're going to meet on top of the Empire State Building. Okay? But here's the problem. Sally goes to the top of the Empire State Building first, right? And she runs into Hugh Grant, who is the bad boy, (laughs) right? And he's like, I'm British, but I'm still bad, right? And so he is trying to steal her away. But because he's the bad boy, he's stealing her in a way that's making her feel bad about herself. And he's kind of making her feel like she's not good enough. So all of a sudden, she 
is not into Harry anymore, and she's just like, I'm no good for anybody. My inner conflict is just uh, is just ruining me, right? But then Harry shows up at the Empire State Building, right? And he's standing at the bottom of the Empire State Building, and he holds up a boombox. <laughs> And the boombox is playing In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel. And the sound travels all the way up to the top of the Empire State Building. And Sally realizes that she has so much self-worth. And then Harry is the one for her. She pushes Hugh Grant off of the Empire State Building. Or no, she doesn't. Sorry. Judy Greer, because Judy Greer is a good friend, (laughs) has pushed Hugh Grant off of the Empire State Building. Tragic. He he dies. And at his funeral, his oh British gosh. lover gets up and reads the Stop All the Clocks poem. And we have this really poignant moment of Hugh Grant being dead at the end of The Beginning of the Ocean, a Rachel Rydberg original film. Wow, what a Frankenstein. There you it's go. It's just a mashup. I, pre- I love it. <laughs> All right, next we're going to take a look at Kelly's movie here. So this is a movie called stranger with curly hair so we start out stranger with curly hair opens up melanie and jack are nine or ten years old and uh they are getting to know each other as little kids they form a budding romance in sex ed class when anita teaches them a little bit of sex ed so thank you to molly shannon for educating the young about uh sex education and so melanie and jack are like oh my gosh a whole world is opening up to me here right But then, here's the problem. The problem is that Melanie, she's so awestruck by what she's heard in sex ed class that she hits her head. And she forgets everything in the sex ed class. And so Jack has to decide, am I going to rekindle this love with her? And he decides, yes, I am. Every single day, we're going to keep going out. And every single day, Anita teaches her sex ed over again, because that was the key that sort of unlocked the love of Melanie. So we're going back and forth, and Anita is teaching the sex ed, and Jack is just re-meeting her day after day after day. Now... Prince Humperdinck comes along for some strange reason, and he decides that he wants a wife who forgets every single day what's going on, right? So he is the rival. He pushes Jack out of the way. And then Jack comes back. He takes her back from Prince Humperdinck. He puts her in their car, in his car, and they drive away. And what Jack does is he says, hey, I'm going to explain to you what's going on. They have a meta meet cute, right? And he says, we are a romantic couple, and you have forgotten everything. And we do this every single day. And so we're driving along in our car, and maybe Anita is driving the car, right? And Jack is explaining how they are actually characters in this story, right? And they're driving away, and all of a sudden, Melanie, she thinks uh, this is just not going to work, and they turn on the car radio to distract themselves, and what is playing on the radio but can't take my eyes off of you, right? And in the can't take my eyes off of you, he starts singing, Jack is singing his song, and all of a sudden, the healing process begins in her brain. The love that she feels because of his singing heals her, actually. Her brain comes back online. She realizes that Humperdinck was betraying her, and um, that is um, how we conclude Stranger with Curly Hair. Because maybe Jack has curly hair, and he's a stranger every single day having to reintroduce himself. This is kind of a notebook that type is thing. Fantastic. This is This is like That's the notebook fantastic. meets, meets uh, 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 Sweet Home Alabama. This is some really good stuff here. That was called Stranger with curly hair all right my movie is called strange adoration 
Strange Adoration is the story of President Andrew Shepard. And Andrew Shepard has an advisor who is played by Rupert Everett. His name is George. And George is very wise and tells Andrew Shepard what he should do as president. He meets Sidney Ellen Wade, who is a lobbyist, and he's very taken with her. The problem is that Sidney Ellen Wade is dating Ian, who is this kind of new age, hippie kind of uh, uh, counselor. And um, Andrew Shepard decides, I'm the president of the United States. You know what? I can send the Secret Service out to beat this guy up. So the Secret Service goes to Ian, and they smash his face with a phone, and Ian is out of the picture, right? George, meanwhile, has been telling Andrew Shepard, dude, you can't do that. You're abusing your power. This is just not going to work, right? He says, I don't care. Get me Sidney Ellen Wade. So they bring Sidney Ellen Wade back to Andrew Shepard. They get on Air Force One, and they fly like Harry and Sally uh, drove from Chicago to New York. They fly from Washington, D.C. to, let's say, Chicago, right? And on the way, they meet and they kiss and they fall in love. And Andrew Shepard says, what can I do? Tell me anything to do for you. And Sidney Ellen Wade, she says, kill George. Kill your best friend, George. And he says, no, I'm not going to kill George. That's my best friend. And she's like, you're the president. You can do whatever you want, right? So um, he decides, okay, maybe I'll kill George. That's all right. We'll go ahead and do that. But he can't do it. He can't bring himself to do it, right? And so they have a big fight and they run away. Sidney Ellen Wade finds not a manuscript to read, but he finds a, she finds the Presidential State of the Union Address. And she reads it. And she realizes, oh my gosh, this is such a poignant speech from a, such a tender guy. I fall in love with him again, right? So they get back together. And then Sidney Ellen Wade uh, meets... Michael Douglas's parents, because, of course, Michael Douglas's father is Kirk Douglas, right? God rest his soul. Yeah, he comes into the movie somehow, Back from the Dead. We meet Michael Douglas's father, Kirk Douglas, and he shows us the end of love as we know it. And that is called Strange Adoration. So those are our three movies. What you can do, audience, as you're listening to this, please go onto Twitter and please find us at JHS creative com please vote for which of our three movies stranger with curly hair uh, strange adoration or the beginning of the ocean which one of these was the best movie of all i want to thank rachel and wally for being here today thank you also for listening please share this podcast with your friends with your family please tell them to subscribe on itunes and spotify follow us on twitter at jhs creative com and please check out our youtube channel creative communications before we go kelly what is the single cheesiest thing ever said in a rom-com Nothing. Okay. <laughs> I got nothing. That'd be a good one too. This episode of Draft Picks is a production of Creative Communications class from Jordan High School in Jordan, Minnesota. For more, subscribe to the Creative Communications podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Follow the Creative Communications channel on YouTube and find us on Twitter at JHS Creative Com. Thanks for listening.